0: Those ten chapters have taken how long? Months and months and months, right? Well, we are heading into chapter 11, and what that's going to do is it's going to cover one week. We're not going to do it in one week. (laughs) But um, imagine that. Mark saves that many chapters for the Passion Week. That's the week that Christ is crucified and then resurrected. It's that Passover week. So it must be something very vital and important to take up that many chapters because ten chapters was really covering like three years. A little over three years, wasn't it? And now all of a sudden we have this most important week. And why is it important? Well, that's where he goes to Jerusalem and sets His face to Jerusalem for one reason, to die for our sins. To pay the penalty, the cost for our sins. So we come to the last stage of this journey. We've been on the journey. and Most of the time, Jesus and His followers have been up north. Most of the time, they spent their ministry out of those three, three and a half years, up in Galilee. Sometimes they would move about. They even went further on up to uh, Tyre and Sidon area. They also went into, I think, the uh, Caesarea Philippi. They were there. Then they started their way back down. They went back in kind of their uh, their home base that they used in their ministry. And so they started zigzagging then. On the way to Jerusalem, they went through Galilee. Then they went through Samaria. They went over to the other side of the Jordan, which is Perea, spent some time there, he did his miracles, he preached, uh, came into Jericho. There he, uh, we know he healed the blind man, Bartimaeus. And by the way, in Jericho is a little man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zac, we like to call him here, because that's a famous name around here. We have a couple of Zacs running around.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it uh, makes you wonder, wow, oh, there's a lot of things going on, isn't there? But the best has yet to come. There had been a road that went through Jericho. And so, after they were out of Jericho, they are going towards Jerusalem. And Jesus is timing this journey down to the very moment. In every way, it's going to happen the way that He has planned. And that's what He's done all the way through. And that's what He's going to do to the very point of His death, His resurrection. It's all been prophesied. It will come about. Only God can do that. And so... We wind up here in Jerusalem for Passover time. Passover is an exciting time of the year. It's, it's the feast of feasts. Um, this is where actually you have a few feasts during one week. But it's very significant. The, the most significant meaning is that the Passover is Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb. He is the Passover Lamb. He is the one that's going to be killed. While the other lambs are being killed, He will be killed at that same precise time. The Passover Lamb. That's incredible. And Jesus designed it to be this way. Exactly. Uh, Expectations, they are running high. People are just having a joyous time just gathering together their friends and family they're traveling together they're going towards Jerusalem many pilgrims just out telling uh, about the news, about Jesus. Some of them knew Bartimaeus. They're out there telling this. You can't believe this guy. He healed Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is seeing, and the other guy along with him, he's healed too. And they started talking about some other things. And then, of course, you have to mention Lazarus. Lazarus had been raised from the dead a few months before this. A lot of excitement. He's coming into Jerusalem where he, the area is where he raised Lazarus up from the dead. You say, well, What's the problem with that? There's a big problem with that. He's already caused enough problem. But if you raise somebody from the dead, everybody knows it. it. The word gets around. He's coming to Jerusalem and the leaders know this. They don't want him there. They don't want anybody testifying about Lazarus. Lazarus come from the dead. Matter of fact, we'll tell you in a little bit that uh, they want to kill Lazarus. <laughs> they want to kill him again. You can't keep a man down if God raises him back up, right? But they're spreading the news. And Jesus has a sight set on the cross. He will die. He has to. Thank the Lord that He did. For if He didn't, our sins would still be on us. And we'd be destined for hell. Now, He's back in Bethany. Bethany's two miles from Jerusalem. He's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's kind of like a, just a little bitty town. I Kind of think of like a St. Martin's like a town, a little bit smaller, little villages that we have around there. Great crowds are coming to see him. Now, usually when he comes, he stays in Bethany because he has some friends there, one of them Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And that's where he hangs out the whole week. Goes back up to Bethany. It's only a couple of miles that he walks there. That's uh, close to a 5K, something like that. And, but he's going up some pretty good hills, like Jeff City, you know. So you can imagine what's what's happening here as he's back around this area. There he is. He's sitting and talking with Lazarus, who had been in the grave for three days, and he's alive. And everybody's buzzing about that. And people know about this this whole entourage that's been coming with Jesus from Jericho, and even before that, they're all following him more and more. The crowd is just picking up as it goes. And some of them are just on their way, and these pilgrims, and they hear about this Jesus, and they've heard about Him, they've not seen Him before, maybe some of them. And so they start to come in, This the excitement is at an electric atmosphere. I mean, this is incredible. Passover's happening, you have the religious flavor that's going on, and definitely a nationalistic flavor. You know, I mean, these people are thinking, the kingdom is coming we're going to beat the Romans and that's kind of the theme that we're going to look at this here this is a political king as far as they're concerned so this has to be the right time as they're seeing it and I'm not sure I heard that noise and I start thinking ceilings what is it this time you never know you never know hey that uh, they could be lifting the uh, paralytic down through the roof you know this
1: may be the new ground zero <laughs> this
0: is it <there>, right <laughs> this is the place we have excitement going on here all because of the lord anyway uh let's uh i'm going to invite you to open up your bibles and we're going to turn to mark 11 if you don't mind And in Mark 11, the first 11 verses is going to be talking about the entrance into Jerusalem, otherwise known as the triumphal entry. There are better titles for that, but um, we'll we'll kind of use that. You're familiar with this. And usually you do this the week before Easter. And you notice the Hosanna song that was playing earlier? That was really cool. I don't know who planned that, but that, that worked out really good. You've been reading ahead. I like that. Because in here is where you see that word, Hosanna. Alright. As they approached Jerusalem. Approaching Jerusalem. At Bethphage and Bethany. Near the Mount of Olives. Notice how direct that is? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he'll send it back here. Well, they went away, found a colt tied at the door, outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus, put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the grove, and others spread their leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front of those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Speak to us today. Speak to us because this is Your Word. This is Your truth. And may it be something that will bless every one of us here and that will get more keen insight on the person of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. By the way, I'm just the herald. I'm just the messenger. Okay? That's, that's all I am. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm just the preacher. The preacher is just, he just gives the message that that's been given by the king. The king has the message, right? It's the king's message. I'm just heralding it forth. Just, here's what's here. Okay? So, with the focus on the king, the king has left a message for us today. Are you guys ready? Let's see what he has for us today. Are you excited? Alright, let's go. As they approached Jerusalem. I mentioned earlier this is a deliberate action Jesus has this in mind and everything to go down exactly the way that he desires nothing is going to take him by surprise he is God after all right nothing is going to take him by surprise this is designed you say how would why would anybody design their own death well if you're a Christian you obviously know why our sins have to be taken care of. Somebody has to do it, and it has to be one who's absolutely perfect, and there's only been one man perfect ever in the history of mankind, and that's a person of Jesus Christ, who is God, who is 100% man, and he can do it. So he took this time. He has calculated it all the way to the point where he's at. It's very definite. It's all premeditated. This is designed. A location. That's been designed. They approach Jerusalem at Bethpage. Bethpage uh, House of Figs possibly is what that means. The House of Figs, and like Bet, Beth, Bethlehem is the House of Bread. Guess who came from Bethlehem? Who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. He is the Bread of Life, right? Well, here he's at a place called Bethphage. And then you have Bethany. And Bethany is dealing with um, uh, another little town that's really close to Bethphage. You have this district. It's the House of Dates. You have dates and figs. Look at the fruit that comes out of this area. And they had fig trees there. They had olive trees. They had uh, dates, figs, olives, uh, the, the grapes. They had everything that they needed, right? It was a beautiful place to be. At his uh, place that he stays, uh, Bethany. um, Hey, do we have a Beth here? (laughs) House. House. Right? This village, this district. Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem. That's really close. Really, 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 really close. Mount of Olives. Kind of on the other side, the Mount of Olives there, he rounds the south side of the Mount of Olives. He had passed by Bethphage, which is only about a mile from Jerusalem. It's kind of in between Bethany and Jerusalem, and it's before you enter Jerusalem, and that's where they're they're at The elevation at this point now is like twenty six hundred feet. They were below sea level before they were at Jericho. And they ascend uh, 2,600 feet in a space of 17 miles from here to Ashland. Go 2,600 feet. That's a pretty good climb. That's where they've made it. Now you're looking on the city of Jerusalem. A beautiful sight there. It's breathtaking view of this holy city. And you can imagine the temple and the gold on the top, uh, the marble. It must have just been dazzling. A beautiful place. A place where people would go for those feasts. They didn't live there. So people are coming to Bethany. Lazarus is there. They want to see Lazarus. If you had heard about a man who had been dead for three days, wouldn't you want to see who this guy is? Is this for real? checking it out. So here we have that sense. Um, Religious leaders, they don't like this. Um, John 12 tells us that the chief priest took counsel. They want to kill Lazarus. They took counsel to kill Lazarus because he's too much of a witness. They want to kill him because they know that they can't do anything about it. They don't deny that the guy was raised from the dead. They just want to try to get him dead again. Okay. Um, remember, it's it's Passover. Okay. The leaders of Israel They want to kill Jesus, right? They've been wanting to kill him for a long time. For three years, they've been wanting to kill him. So he has so many followers around him. I mean, we're talking thousands probably are thronging around him as he's coming from Bethany, Bethphage, coming on to Jerusalem. This is an uproar if they would cause anything that would cause harm to Jesus. Do you think you're going to get into that crowd? This is going to cause all sorts of havoc. When a leader does something that's pretty unpopular, people really get upset. Like bringing on insurance that the government wants to run. (laughs) People get upset, don't they? Getting very upset. Well, this is Passover week. He must die, because he is the Passover lamb, and they're desiring to kill him, but they're not really wanting to kill him at this time, because it's Passover week. There are literally probably a couple million people or so in this city, and so many are tracking this Jesus, this one who people are saying is the Messiah. The pitch is escalating. Do you get it? If we go in now, this is really going to make us look bad. They would rather do it in a little more secretive way. So they're not prepared to execute him at this point. Let's get him later. And that's exactly, though, the way that God wanted it. He has to die on the day the lambs are being sacrificed. He's got to be the lamb. Precisely at that right time. And he has the greatest mass of people around him that he could possibly have. Severely threatened. There's a divine schedule here. There is the largest crowd possible. I want to tell you in 40 AD, there's a record in Jewish history that in 40 AD, which is really about 10 years or less from the time that Jesus was there at this time there were 260,000 lambs sacrificed. Imagine that. 260,000 lambs sacrificed at, at Passover. Usually there were about 10 people to a lamb. It could be 10 to 20, because what the number it was supposed to be. So, we're possibly talking 2 to 2.6 million people. Somebody has done the mathematics on that. Just a
1: massive crowd.
0: Crowd around. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And Jesus is doing everything to agitate the leaders to kill him. Can you imagine that? You'd think he'd be running. Well, he stayed away and he walked out of their midst. Many times they wanted to kill him and it couldn't happen. And But when he wants it to happen, remember in, uh, uh, in John 10, he says, I have the power to keep my life and I have the power to take it. Even though they're going to be responsible for doing it. Imagine that. So he agitates this. Everything is calculated by God. He's controlling this event. Is God absolutely sovereign in everything? Even in his death, even when he was slightly what you could call passive, yeah, now we get to this colt. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, we're in verse 2, go into the village opposite you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it, bring it here. This is an unridden cult. That's what it means. Why the choice of a young donkey? Well, you see, over 500 years before, this is what makes Bible great. No other religion, when I say religion, I'm saying Eastern religions, cults, you name it. No other religion has the Bible as their sole authority, as true Christianity. And when you have prophecy, When you have one prophecy, you say, well, that could be a mistake. When you have two or three, you say, well, you know, it just turned out to be that way. When you have eight of them, that's very incredible. Of course, everybody's heard about the deal about the silver dollars in Texas, you know, and you'd cover the state of Texas and then you could uh, go find that one silver dollar, you know, that's been buried, uh, that's been marked, and... And uh, the thing is, that's the chances of eight prophecies that were written before time, pre-written history. That's the chances of that coming true. Well, there are more than eight. There's literally hundreds. There's definitely over 300 that we can verify for certain. That's a lot. Nobody can even come close to that. They can't even, even, not even close. They don't have prophecy. That's one of the reasons why you can believe the Bible. So it's either true or it's not if those things are true I think it would be very reasonable to think hmm maybe I ought to value what is being said here maybe there's eternal values maybe I need to really think about this if that be true because only God could do this no man can make that happen over 500 years before this Zechariah had prophesied that the Messiah would come riding on the foal of a donkey the colt not the donkey but the, the colt of the donkey Jesus fulfilled this prophecy to the very letter. He chose a colt, which no colt uh, uh, would be written in, in the sense of what he's going to do. That's what he wanted. Whenever he said uh, the the colt, something that uh, he's going to ride for the first time, it's it's a it's a holy purpose. It's a sacred purpose. Uh, in in biblical culture, that's what you see. Whenever things are used for a uh, sacred task. Uh, animals are used, Uh, they are ones that uh, would never be used for an ordinary use. It was set aside for him. A sacred purpose. No other purpose. And if you go back to Numbers, chapter 19, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you get into the law. How many times do you read the book of Numbers? Well, it has something to say here. This is not necessarily a prophecy, it is an instruction, it's an ordinance dealing with a red heifer. And really what it's talking about is, again, one that is being set apart for a particular purpose. This is the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel that they bring you an unblemished red heifer in which is no defect and on which a yoke has never been placed. Red heifer is going to be used for a sacred purpose. it's not a colt of a donkey, but it's a red heifer being used for a sacred purpose. Deuteronomy, next book over, second giving of the law, Deuteronomy 21, I think it's verse 3. Again, we're going to see something very similar. Jesus fulfills the law. You ever notice that? The law is not done away with. We just can't fulfill it ourselves, but Jesus Christ does. He's the only one that can do it. Deuteronomy twenty one three. It shall be that the city which is nearest to the slain man, that is, the elders of that city, shall take a heifer of the herd which has not been worked and which is not pulled in a yoke. I'm going to use it for a special purpose, a holy purpose, sacred, something that's not been used, no yoke upon it. Well, that this time it's not the red heifer. Uh, This is a a heifer of the herd. Same kind of thought. I have another passage in 1 Samuel 6 along the same lines. You get the idea, right? Sacred purpose. And that's, that's what the whole deal is about. That's why he's riding on this foal of a donkey here. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says, I want you guys to go and take that away and bring it to me. Sounds like thievery, doesn't it? You know, Jesus is not a thief, and we know He doesn't break the law. Because He kept the law. But it sounds like He's stealing something here. Just Hey, I'll tell you what. Go get together. By the way, first of all, He owns it anyway. <laughs> he owns everything, doesn't He? <laughs> Somebody might think they own that colt, but He, above all, owns it. But... I think that it means more than that. How does Jesus know that He can get this coat? And by the way, He doesn't say, I'm going to go get it. He sends the two disciples to go get it. <laughs> They're the ones that are going to Well, first of all, and this is easy, we know that God is omniscient, right? He knows everything. And He knows this will happen. Right? No problem with that. He is omniscient. He knows it all. Great attribute to that. But I think it could mean even more than that. And I won't press it too much, but I, I like to think of it this way. Could possibly be. Doesn't have to be. But it could be that Jesus did not leave things until the last moment. He says, oh, by the way, uh, can you do this? No, I think He's had this planned out. And I think months before He'd been in Jerusalem, Months before he had actually been in, uh, actually I guess I should say, Bethany, because of Lazarus, remember? He was, he was to come there and he waited until it was late, till Lazarus was really dead. Dead is dead, right? He just stunk more. But the thing is that he, he knew Lazarus. He probably knew other people in Bethany because he had stayed there many times. Now think along with this wouldn't it be possible that he had made arrangements knowing he's going to come back this time and next time he's going to go into Jerusalem and he's going to ride on that donkey to fulfill Zechariah. And so he makes it clear to this friend that, hey, I'm going to have a couple of my disciples come and get the foal of the donkey, the one that you own there. And I was just uh, asking permission. Would that be okay? He says, "Yeah, how am I going to know it's it's them? They start taking it as it's like they're going to it looks like somebody's stealing it." He says, "That's okay. Uh, you might question them, but here's the password." "Hey, we took this up a couple of thousand years, passwords. You guys like passwords? I hate them. <laughs> Especially when you have about you know, five different computers you work on and you have different programs and each one has a different password and you're going, "What was that?" Oh, no, I've lost it. How do I get... Them? This is the password. There's only one password. And and Jesus covers it. He says in verse 3, If anyone says to you, and he knows they're going to do it. Why are you doing that? And you, you tell him the password. What's the password? The Lord has need of it. Oh, okay. Go right ahead. That's the password. They They did it. Hey... Doesn't say that for sure, not pressing it. I thought it was just a little bit of fun, but I think it's a little bit possible. I think it's more than possible. We definitely know He's omniscient, so all of this is working together. So, He sends forth the disciples, the password now is done, <clears throat> the Lord needs it, the Lord needs it now, and we have a dramatic action that is going to take place. He's showing Himself to be King. The people are realizing that he can be the king, and now he's showing it, and the people are saying, Finally, we've been after him to do this. He's deliberately challenging the religious leaders to say, Check this out, guys, he's making his entry oh, they see it. When you see thousands of people coming down from this ride, you know, they're walking, he's riding on the, this little donkey. And they hear about this crowd. You can't miss it. Uh, This is going to set forth a plot. We've got to do something about this, guy. I know we haven't figured it out for this week, but we've got to to do something now. We've got to arrest him. We've got to get him on trial. And then we're going to crucify him. And that's, of course, what they're going to do. The whole impact here is that you have a king coming on a colt. A king coming on a colt. Now, it's not considered a despised kind of animal. Uh, Matter of fact, it's really considered a noble one. When a king went to war, he would ride on a horse, right? Coming on a white horse, maybe. You know, that's what you usually think of when you have kings. But uh, when you go back to King David, for instance, if you remember him, he rode on on a donkey. He rode on a donkey. He was uh, king. He was identifying himself as the king. Jesus is coming in the royal line of David. When Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, was healed, what did Bartimaeus keep saying? Have mercy on me, son of David. Son of David. David's the king. He's in the royal. David was a thousand years before. Yeah, but there's one in the line of David who's going to be the Messiah. Jews know that he's going to be the kingly rule. They've been waiting for a thousand years. This is it. This is it. This is it. He's here. The Messiah is here. The donkey is a royal animal during the days of King David. But I do want to tell you, but later on, the Hebrew kings, they're, most of them not really humble, uh, they're very prideful, and so they switched to the horses. The donkey was kind of considered to be unsuited for the dignity of kings. Jesus doesn't come in on a horse. He didn't come into this earth in a palace, did he? Born in a cave, in a manger. Not at home. Kind of cool at night. Ah, oh, boy, the things and the way that he did it, totally different than the way we do it. The choice of the donkey was telling the world who he was. He's the king, but it also proclaimed what he was like. He's humble. He's coming in, bringing peace. That's the idea of this this cult. A war torn world. The Romans, all their soldiers. Boy, they have everybody in town for this. You have two million people coming to town. You better have the police there, right? Bring in the National Guard. Bring in the World Guard, right? The Roman army. And he's the Prince of Peace. This is an animal of peace. And boy, what a contrast here to the war horses of the ancient kings. So I believe it's representing what kind of a king he was, coming meek and lowly. So he rides past all the Roman pomp, goes right on down to the Jewish temple. This portrayed his position as the Messiah. In his person, he's humble and he's gentle. What a different kind of person this is! This is dangerous. <coughs> I want to tell you, Jesus did dangerous things. He's a hero, folks. He is the superhero of all the heroes. No hero can compare to this one. He is the one. Matter of fact, everything that they do is comparable to what he did, only much more. I mean, (laughs) there's nothing that he can't do. But he gets into danger here. People are saying, this has got to be the one we're looking for. We kind of thought that, and he's been healing people. He's been saying amazing things. We've all been amazed. He's riding on the donkey, he's going into Jerusalem. This is this is the Messiah. This is the King. He's entering. He's entering in. He's the son of David. And this is dangerous. Yeah, it's going to kill him. But the danger is is that they have nationalistic flavor. They're not thinking that He's going to save them spiritually. They're thinking, oh, if only we could get back to the good old days, especially like David... We can be ruled and reigned by our king and we'll have power over all the world. I'm tired of the Romans and I'm tired of them having control over us. See? We get hung up on the political thing. And we kind of forget who's really reigning. Sure, that sounds good. But it would only last for a little while. Don't you want something more eternal? People need to be saved to enter the kingdom of God. And that's what this is about. This is not what the people are hoping for. What He's doing here... I mean, it's dangerous because the people now are going to get the idea even more than ever that this is the political takeover. We're going to be part of this. We're getting ready to do it now. They didn't understand. They're looking for conquest. There's part one. Ready for part two? We've covered three verses. Oh my. It is twelve nineteen. Ha I am glad the time changed. I want to get the reaction of the people here. Here are the disciples, first of all. He says, here's the password and, and send it back here. Okay? That, that's what's going to happen. So they went away, found a coat tied at the door. There it is, just like what he said. They're in the Bethpage area. It's outside in the street. So they go, well, he said, to do it. So, you know, you can imagine going over there and they're untying. I'm, I'm sure the other one's looking out for him, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: and sure enough, these guys see him. You know, they're, they're out there. They're bystanders. Say, hey, what are you doing untying the coat? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them and they gave him permission. Oh, yeah, yeah. Take it. Go. Just said the password. <laughs> so you have to do That's it. It's like uh, unlocking, you know, this door. You have the key. Boom. Wow. Hey, it worked. <laughs> Why? Were you doubting? You know, Jesus. The disciples are <laughs> saying to each other, it doesn't say whether it's Peter or not. I doubt. I, yeah, it's probably below Peter, you know. I, going to do that. I don't know. It just says disciples. Um, so they brought the coat to Jesus and they put their coats on it and he sat on it. They have obedience here. You notice that? Jesus tells them what to do. They did exactly what he did and it comes about. That's really what our Christian life is about. Simple
1: obedience.
0: And His yoke is easy. Right? Burdens are light. Follow Him. Whatever He says, is oh yeah, that's a lot easier than what the way I've been doing it. The way the world was telling me. They um, make a saddle for Him. Make it really comfortable. Put the coat on there. That's servants. Hey, they're learning something. You know, we've been talking about servants all the way through here. And Jesus is the servant. He is the humble servant, but yet they're serving him here. I, I kind of like that. That's a it's a good idea. <laughs> oh my! So you have people around. They're going to follow. He's getting on this. By the way, very interesting in Daniel chapter nine verse twenty four. nice to see prophecies, prophecies that we know that actually come true. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Who's the holy city? Where's the holy city? Jerusalem. Okay? For your people, Daniel's people, the Israelites there, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, this is before, you know, I, I mean, we're looking at a time period that Daniel is getting from God when, remember, the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And he says to Ezra and Nehemiah, and he leads those people back, and then people follow them to go build Jerusalem and to build the temple. And he says, okay, we're going to restore, rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. How many weeks is that? Seven and 62 is what? 69 weeks. And to a Jew, they know what the week is. How many, how many days are in a week? Seven. To them, that's seven years for a week, as he's putting the time. There were actually so many years from the time that Daniel said that to the very time that Jesus came in to the holy city was those 69 weeks. That's incredible. to to that very moment whenever they start building that to the time that Christ presents himself as entering uh, this city. And it's been mathematically done by, um, I can't remember his name now, I think it starts with Sir. (laughs) But he figured this uh, out and uh, many people report this. I think it's very fascinating. Definitely I I think it's it's meant there to, to show that the temple was going to be rebuilt and here's how long it was going to be uh and then then you have this uh, extra time then after that that uh, there's going to be so many years within within that generation then it'd be waiting for quite a while for the messiah would come so we get a date here of when the messiah would be coming you find that fascinating i think it's incredible down to the very day to the very day that has been traced i'm blown away so much prophecy in this but you know what? They still don't get it. They don't get it. I mean, this is incredible. It's, would we get it if things started like happening right in front of our eyes? And we go, is this it? Or what all does this entail? Am I measuring this right? Now, the crowd is very extravagant. Very extravagant. Go back to our Mark 11. They spread their coats in the road. And others spread leafy branches which they cut from the fields. Palm tree branches and such. This whole thing is very reminiscent of something that happened before. There is, um, was a time called the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabeans were Jewish people. And they decided to take on uh, the empire that was uh, over them. Greeks, the divisions of them, uh, were there at that time. 150 years before this time of Christ, one of the Maccabeans had defeated the enemy. The enemies just blasted them in, in battle. And as they came to this holy city, there was a giving of thanks, a thanksgiving. There were branches of palm trees, harps, cymbals, and vials, and hymns, and songs. Because the great enemy had been destroyed in that battle. And you can find that in the book called First Maccabees, chapter 13, verse 51. That's found in the Apocrypha. That's, that's history. Not inspired book, but you can get a lot of Jewish history out of those particular books in the Apocrypha, and there's one. They do have errors in them, however. That's why they're not considered to be inspired, and they're not in our canon, not in our Bible. But they're good books to learn some history. So when they spread their garments out before him, they're doing what the crowd had done before or as a matter of fact, you can see something in our Bible if you turn to Second Kings chapter nine, verse thirteen. Do the Jewish people know the Old Testament? Well they don't know the New Testament, because it hasn't been written yet, but they know the Old Testament. Most of them do anyway, you would hope so. Or at least they thought they did. Second Kings chapter nine, verse thirteen. This is dealing with Jehu. Then they hurried, and each man took his garment and placed it under him on the bare steps and blew the trumpet saying, Yehu is king. Jehu reigning over Israel. This is dealing with Elisha's time. Elisha the prophet. So what they do? They, they took their garments and put them down there and he walked on them. Well, guess what the people are doing here? I think they uh, do this uh, as, uh, as reminiscent of what happened there. It was customary for people to lay the garments on the road and add the branches and the palm branches to welcome a king. That's what they would do. So, obviously, this is the welcoming of the king. All homage is being poured forth, flinging the robes, and they are willing for Him, whenever they throw their robes, their coats, maybe the only thing they own, the only coat that they have, and they put it out there, they're, they're saying, I'm willing to you for you to trample on this, this property that I have, and you can do whatever you want with this. You can do whatever you want with me, is the gesture. When you throw down... You're close there. You're, you are the king, and this whole procession. I'm part of it, but I'm willing to be yours. So they want to be underneath this king. New pilgrims, all walking along. This huge crowd that's going on. New pilgrims are there, and they go, "Wow, what's going on?" And they start joining it too. Do you see the fever? Do you see the pitch of what is happening here? Get a, get a feel of it. These were Hebrews on the holiday. They're having a great time. You know what? It's good to have days of feasts. I think God designed that for us to take off time from our everyday work that we have and just enjoy some special days that are set aside. It's good for rest. In this case, it happens to be also a very religious holiday or a Spiritual holiday, and so even more so. But all their holidays really were holy days. That's where holiday came from. Holy day. So and when people say happy holidays, all I have to do is think, oh, happy holy day. <laughs> it's okay. They still don't know it, but that's, that's what I take it as. So the holiday's fine with me. Um, fact of the matter is, is that it's good to have joy. You know, God wants us to have joy because God is the God of joy. Did you know that God wants us to have pleasure? Because God is the one who created pleasure. Pleasure for Him. That's why that book came out by John Piper that caused so much turmoil back 30 years ago. and I have no idea why that would be, but desiring God and then later on Dealing with the, the pleasures of God, and um, actually, uh, you know, he talks about joy. And it's like, wow, people are offended because they think Christians are not to have joy. The thing is, the Christians are the only ones that should have the joy. We're the ones that have the truth. We're the ones that are marching into the kingdom, you know, and of course we want to share that, right? I mean, now, you're having probably antiphonal chants. Going on. Now, remember, I built this crowd up, and uh, can you imagine? Have you ever been in a crowd where there's like 50,000 people, and one side is over here going M I Z Z O U
1: <laughs> Mizzou, right?
0: Now, think crowd is much huge, much, much huger. I'm going to say that it's not a word, but I created it, it's okay. More huge. <laughs> and they're chanting. They're chanting as they're marching into Jerusalem. You have these crowds of people. You have people in front of Jesus. You have people behind Jesus. And this is what they would usually do when they go to the Passover, anyway, when there were the beach, these huge crowds coming in, anyway. And the palm branches, a lot of people already have. So where do they get the palm branches all of a sudden? They just start climbing up the trees and cutting those things off. Well, see, during this time of the season, the palm branches were actually considered to be a symbol of the Maccabean revolt. Maybe some of them quickly got those and the people started picking up the branches. I think that's rather interesting, though, isn't it? Uh, They remember the Maccabean's revolt. That's what they're thinking of. We're going to revolt. We are going to take over. Turn to John 12. And we see that gospel. Now Matthew and Mark and Luke are considered to be parallel. They're gospels that are very similar to each other. Uh they don't have all the same stories or anything, but they, they go along the same. John is considered to be a little bit different than the other ones, but he has this recorded in there too. Um but he he usually has different ones than the rest of the gospels. But in John twelve, verse thirteen, by the way, I just threw that in just for free. and Because it really doesn't matter right now, but uh, you might like to know that if you didn't want to know it's okay then too. But in John 12, you can see that this is the same story. On the next day, a large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet Him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel! And so there's that... That story, they're not now. now um, verse sixteen: These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified after his resurrection, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. They're just caught up in the moment. With the rest of the crowd, they don't know really what's going on. I know they've heard Jesus said, "I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to mock me and spit on me, they're going to crucify me, and then I'll resurrect." And he said that three times, and they still really didn't get it. But maybe he means something. He's going to die. I don't. I don't know. But these things were written. What things were written? Go to Psalm. Chapter 118, verse 26. And here's something that was written 1,000 years before Christ. 1,000 years before Christ. Really. But they practiced this one for 1,000 years. And longer, actually. Probably 1,400 years. They'd been practicing this until it finally came true. Every Passover season, they would do the Hallel. Guess where hallel comes from. Have you guys ever heard of Hallelujah? What does hallel mean? It means praise. What does yah mean? Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallel. The hallel, they would do that when they would come into the city in the feast at this at this Passover. And if you've ever been at a Passover, that's the fulfillment of it, the Christian way, like many of you guys have been. Um We took part of this and and we would uh, do some of this Psalm 118. I think uh, some of the other Psalms, 116, 17, 18, they'd all be quoting these and saying it as they would be marching on. Uh, Psalm 118.26. Here we go. Ready? Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? right out of our passage here, right at this time, this is what's happened. This is one of the lines that's repeated regularly. Luke
1: 19.38
0: says something of the same nature. Adds a little bit. They were shouting, Blessed is the King. Mentions the King here. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. He's coming in peace. Of course, He is glory, isn't He? So, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke adds on the fact that He's the King. Oh, wow. Who comes. Blessed is He who comes. This is another name for the Messiah. They knew that. This is the Messiah. They would talk of it every year. They would be said, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They know they're speaking of the Messiah. Now they're saying it. This is not rehearsal time. this is it, and the Hallel psalm were just kept repeating his character, the hosannas, the Hosannas, right Hosanna, and the highest that describes his work because Hosanna is Hoshiana Hoshiana means save, save now they're saying save, salvation. Okay. Salvation from what? From the Romans. <laughs> Hosanna, save us now. Ah, okay. Let's let's go. You like going back to the Old Testament. Isn't it cool to see things that were prophesied beforehand and all of a sudden there this is it and this is happening and they're using those scripture and it's coming exactly true and the best one we haven't done yet. We haven't turned our Zechariah passage. But let's go to 2 Samuel 14:4 4 and we'll use this word Hoshiana or Hosanna. Everybody's heard that, haven't they? Hosanna in the highest. 2 Samuel 14:4. Uh, you have this woman of Tekoa spoke to the king. She fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself. She's right on the floor. And she said, Help, O king. Or, Hosiana. Save me now. Help me now. Deliver me. That's the Hebrew word. That's the idea. Go to one more. Second Kings chapter 6. Not too far from our Samuel, is it? You have Samuel. Then you have the Kings. Second Kings 6, verse 26. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my Lord, O king. Help me. Hoshiana, save me. Deliver me. Help. I need help. Hoshiana. Hosanna. Okay. Boy, is this build up. Now you hear antiphonally. Antiphonal. One, you know, we can do this. You guys could say, Hosanna. And you guys could say, In the highest. You guys ready?
1: Hosanna. In the highest. Oh, damn. Isn't that
0: cool? Okay, that's just a few people. Now magnify that
1: by the thousands. Wow.
0: I mean, this is better than any football game, you know, when they have the cue cards and all of them are putting them up there and you see them at the Rose Bowl, you know, and you get different colors and such. How cool that is. <laughs> Nothing compared to this. I mean, a Rose Bowl, I mean, that's pretty well it for the bowls. I mean, you know, that's well, almost majesty. Huh. It can't compare to this. Not even close. You know the throngs of people that are along the streets. Hmm. Hosanna's describe his work. The Hallel psalm revealed his character. You've had Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, back a little time ago, was saying, "Son of David." Crowd is getting all of a sudden. You're thinking. Oh, wow, I think I know what they're talking about. Are you kidding me? Is this it? Is this, is this the king? Is this the son of David? Bartimaeus is in the crowd. You know he is. And he's seeing everything. i got a feeling he's seeing like nobody else sees. Beauty. People are wanting help, protection from the hands of the king, right? Those women saying Hosanna is a cry to God to break in, save His people now that the Messiah had come. That's what they're doing. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 9. Who is this? And will and will He come? Zechariah 9, nine have built this all up and we're getting right to the end. This is like close to the grand finale. I mean, this is what it's about. Zechariah 9.9. 9. People would know this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Children of Israel. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Ready? He is just. Absolutely, perfectly righteous. Endowed with salvation. He's the one that brings salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That is getting down to detail. That is amazing. This is the king. You need to shout. He's coming to you. He is just. He has salvation. He is humble. He's mounted on the colt of a donkey. Oh, wow. Who is this? And I'm sure for years, the parents would read that to their children and they would say, Daddy, who is that? And when is that going to be? Wouldn't we, as parents, be wanting to know that too? Who is that and when is it going to be? That's what they look for. It's there. But they're missing the point. They're missing the whole point. Absolute confusion. Look at Isaiah 35.5. Oh, what a promise. What's going to happen whenever... The Messiah comes. Isaiah 35, 5 is one of them. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. You have Bartimaeus. You have the other guy with him. He's probably there too. Other people that he's healed from blindness. And the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. We've already seen that, right? That was a forerunner to what eventually happened. You won't have deafness. You won't have blindness in the ultimate kingdom. But he had introduced what it was going to be like. The kingdom actually was here. National restoration. Yes! We're going to restore the nation. (laughs) The blind, I mean, they're seeing. The cousin of Bartimaeus is saying, man, this is it. Wow, I've known you for 35 years and you have never been able to see. The earthly kingdom... The disciples, even after the resurrection, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, get a load of this. Get a load of this. So when they'd come together, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is it at this time You are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, He just didn't say, huh, it's not going to be a king.'" It's no kingdom. He says, it's not for you to know the times or epics which the Father has fixed by His own authority. But I will tell you: Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to have power, and you're going to be my witnesses. Until the time is right for me to come back and establish the ultimate kingdom, I want you to be going out taking the gospel truth to the lost. And so for 2,000 years, that's what the church does. You guys like that? I'm glad it happened because it's still existing. Despite all the wrinkles and spots that look like are on the church, let me tell you, God's making it holy. He's doing His thing. He's, doing, he's in control, isn't He? Even when things look like they're out of control. So you have confusion. Okay, got to close this out. I got one more verse. They're saying Hosanna in the highest. Goes into the city. Jesus entered Jerusalem. Came into the temple. And for you guys that know what Jesus does at the temple, he's done it before. And he's going to do it again, but not this day. After looking around at everything, left for Bethany with the 12. It's already late. Jesus had been there before. Matter of fact, He had been at the Passover. He had been there when He was 12 years old. Do you remember that? And He was making people, the religious leaders, in awe of all that He knew as He sat there talking with the religious elite of all the world. And there's the 12-year-old Jesus just blowing them away. And of course, Mom and dad discover that he's not with them in the crowd. And they go back Said, hey, what are you doing? You're supposed to be with us. And he says, hey, I have to be about my father's business. Remember that? Take it up another 18 years. He enters the city, Jerusalem. Goes into the temple. Starts wreaking havoc in John 2 and... The money changers that are in the temple and the court of the Gentiles and you have the doves and sacrificial animals and the tables are being turned over. Money just rolling and flying everywhere. It was just absolute craziness. And that was Jesus doing that. Because they distorted the whole idea of what God was about and how worship was about of him. And in John 2, that's what we see. And the next day, that's what we will see again. But not today. It's late. It's tiny. But he's gauging it out. Just like a Roman leader would be gauging it out, scouting things out, eyes open wide, a commander summing up the strength of the opposition that's going to be there, and knowing his own resources that he's going to have, as he will go into this decisive battle. For that week, he's going to have to return to Bethany, and that's a place of peace. Get out of the throngs of the crowd. Of course, there's a lot of people staying in Bethany too. It's only a couple of miles away, but he's going to seek the presence of His Father in prayer. Because He has a tough week ahead. You guys ever had a tough week? Ever had a bad week? He's going to have a hard week, but He's going to present truth. You know what it comes down to? Understand what the Bible says. They had the Bible. They had the truth. The only problem is, they distorted it and made it fit what they wanted. We are always in for the immediate need of ourselves I'm so tired of being underneath this Roman rule I'm so tired of the things I have to go through in life I don't know if I can make it be focused upon the truth and where things are headed we're so concerned about our own little problems that God takes care of and we don't understand the gospel sometimes the gospel truth is that we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by trusting in Christ and Him alone. Every day that we live, we live by faith. We walk by faith. He has all the details figured out. We don't. We think we do. This is the way that it ought to be, right? Look what happens when you want to follow whatever the way that we think it ought to be, they missed everything. The salvation for their souls was right there. Most of them. Most of the nation missed it. And they're saying, this can't be the Messiah who's on that cross up there. That can't be Him. Listen, the Gospel is the heart of the Bible. The Gospel says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for us, the unrighteous, sinful, wicked people, and then puts His righteousness on us. Pays the price of our sins forever. He does it. It's all by grace. And as a result, we say, I want to understand more who He is. Do you see why people can get excited about the Word of God? Because we've been saved. Hoshiana has happened. All by grace. For His glory. The Gospel is at the heart of our lives. Let's pray. Father, right, thank You. Thank You for saving us. Thank You for delivering us. Hosanna in the highest, may we learn better how to understand who you are, your very person. And then as a result of that, then we see ourselves who we are in Christ, and how we've been delivered from such a drastic kind of life and being brought into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for this time may it be for Your glory. Your blazing glory we wait for. We want to see that day which will culminate in something much more powerful than you even riding on a donkey. Of course, it portrays in the book of Revelation that you come riding on a white horse. However powerful and however majestic that is, it's going to be an incredible thing to be a part of that parade. Thank You, Lord, for revealing Yourself to us. For only you can do that. In Jesus, the Son of David's name, Amen.